Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Straight fire. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Even the crowd knows what's coming next. It's Wesson Walker with you for the next three hours alongside Josh Fitty Marlowe, alongside Shroppy, learning the ones and twos because we're going to be out at the Hercules, uh, Hercules Tire Big South Championship tomorrow. So that will be a lot of fun. And walking into the studio, it feels like we're all walking into a storm of takes, not even just sports takes, but we had about three or four different arguments slash debates slash conversations about how excited we were for March, about how Fiddy was not going to be able to go out with us if we do broadcast on remote for that opening Thursday of the NCAA tournament. We argued about fruit by the foot and fruit roll-ups, how to eat fruit roll-ups, because I was offended, and I need you guys to be on my side, especially you, Wes. Fruit by the foot, mm-hmm. the snack you're familiar with. Correct? Yes. One, do you think fruit by the foot is better than fruit roll-ups? <laughs> I didn't eat either. Okay, fair. What? Yeah. Yes, I didn't eat either. <laughs> Fiddy is, yeah. Fiddy, Fiddy is offended that you didn't eat that. Well, How? I was offended last night. Watching on the Jumbotron, some of the promotional videos they do, some of the fun stuff that the Charlotte Hornets will do on the Jumbotron, Terry Rozier eating his fruit by the foot. He balled it up and just threw it in his mouth rather than I've eating it the correct that. way. Yeah. I know, but it's, oh, they're all serious. I think you saw Jeffrey Dahmer do that. You saw. Because like airheads, people Sam. would do that sometimes with airheads. Serial killers eat that way. Whoa. That, that's the way they eat. I'm just telling you. If you roll up a fruit roll or a fruit roll up or even a fruit by the foot, then you are unserious about your fruit snacks. So let me, let me tell you, you would eat. The fruit by the foot, like you would roll it all the way out. I would go the full length of the foot, yes. I'm not balling it up and just throwing it in my mouth like it's a jawbreaker. And then would you just bite off of it like in stages, or would you tear it? How you're supposed to. Either one is acceptable, but I would tear it. And Terry Rozier just did that. I thought he should have sat the entire second half. I thought that was offensive, and I didn't respect the the fruit snack game. Willie P was on my side, so we were starting to argue a little bit about that. And so we can talk about that maybe a little bit later on in the show. I expected you to have tried, because you're a snack guy. I would mm-hmm. have expected you to have tried fruit roll-ups or fruit by the football. Yeah, when I was a kid, I, that wasn't really my thing. Okay. So what was your thing as a kid? I would eat, like, if I did pack a lunch and take it to school, I mean, I had sandwich chips, but I would take, like I said, like the little Debbie's or stuff like that, Fig Newtons. (laughs) Yeah, I'd take that or, like, uh, Fig Newtons and stuff like that, like, would be my sweet. The the Fig Newtons weren't very good to me. Really? The little Debbie. Well, no, it's a dry cookie. How, How do you have a filling, a gelatinous filling, and still have a dry cookie? Gelatinous? It's gelatinous in there. It's a fruit spread. Feels gelatinous. Hey, in the last few days, you have said gelatinous mm-hmm. and was it Vivi Suede or whatever it was yesterday? Like <laughs> you didn't know what jag is, but you're talking all these all these big words. Gelatinous, yes, the long word for Jello, if you will. 
Kind of. Not really. <laughs> and sous vide. All right. We are off to a fantastic start. I do want to get into some combine talk. We'll get to all of it right now. It's a little clumsy. I don't think we're organized. The equipment manager is still looking for equipment at the back of the bus, but it doesn't matter. We're stopped. Little country. Open up the doors. Let's get off the bus. We look good getting off the bus. I got something to say. Nine eight zero number already on the text line. You absolutely roll it up into a ball and just let it dissolve in your mouth. <laughs> Again, more offensive takes on fruit snacks. The NFL Combine, it is underway. The Carolina Panthers are celebrating by posting videos of some of their more athletic feats from the players on the roster. Amari Barno setting the record, I think last year for the 40 time, running in a 4-3-6 as a defensive lineman, which is absolutely incredible. Yeah. And so we thought we might celebrate in a similar way. Now, none of us have an impressive 40 time at the Combine. Nothing like that. But we thought that we could reminisce on some of the better athletic feats we have seen at the NFL Combine. And we wanted to throw in some of the crazier Carolina athletes or just performances altogether. And I will start the conversation with the ultimate athlete in Julius Peppers. Now, I don't remember the Combine performance, but he's one of my favorite athletes of all time. One of the crazier athletes ever. And the athlete alien we can throw in i would always go to vernon davis for setting tight end records galore when we saw him at the nfl combine what athletes do you want to lead off the conversation with today well if you want to talk about local guys and performances let's look to last year jordan davis defensive tackle from the philadelphia eagles straight out of mallet creek high school 6'6, 341 pounds ran a four seven eight 40, okay, fastest time ever at the combine for someone who weighed at least 315 pounds. They're That's, tight ends yeah. that don't run that fast. That man ran it at 341, 10-3 broad jump and a 32-inch vert. Yeah, that's absolutely insane. To have Jordan Travis be able to run that fast Jordan at Davis. that kind of... Uh, Jordan Davis, excuse yes, me. Yes, Run that fast at that type of size. It's incredible. Did you ever run the 40 at Wake Forest? If so, what was your time? Yeah, I was like a 5-2 guy, like 5... Around 5 flat, 5-2, five something like that. How good was that compared to the other offensive linemen I mean, on it, your team? Uh, I don't... Re- <laughs> like, as far as... Compared to other guys, I don't I don't remember. I, I mean, I know that was a, a solid time for my size. I mean, nothing spectacular, but it was solid. I was about to say, yeah, Wendy's nephew said that Fiddy ran a sub 4-5 at the Lancaster Church League Combine. Is that true, <laughs> Fiddy? Can you confirm your 4-5 time at the 40? Yes, I can. Okay, impressive. Pirate Ryan riding in. Chris Johnson, ECU, a 4-2-4-40. That, that 40 oh, yeah. was absolutely nuts. Yeah. To see Chris Johnson scoot like that was incredible. And also to be, he had the one year CJ2K, and that was kind of it for his NFL career. But Whoa. he was. Well, kind of. I said kind of. He wasn't, he wasn't doing crap. The running back. Boy, your, your takes on running back out. Uh, don't worry about it. You keep talking, and, I, and I'll hunt up the stuff. Well, look. Okay. I feel chipper. It's feisty. Well, it is feisty. Look, I'm saying that was kind of it. He had 2,000. Okay. All right. He had more yeah, than 1,000 yards. Uh-huh. I just misremembered. He had more years than that. But yeah. the 2,000 was by yeah, far. Yeah, three seasons of 1,200 plus. Come on, man. Don't do CJ like that. Okay. I apologize to Chris Johnson. I thought he he was okay. I loved Chris Johnson. That's why when you said that, I was like, no, nah, we're not doing that today. You, you did stop me in my Chris Johnson <laughs> take right off to start the show. Um, 100%. Keaton Mitchell this year could be in the 4-3s. So that's something that Pirate uh, Ryan is also putting oh, Bo out Bo Jackson there. ran the unofficial hand time 4-1-2, man, at the 235. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, those 40 times are pretty crazy that to throw out there. That might be the great. The, which one is the greatest, I you said? said? That might be the great. Bo Jackson running an unofficial 4-1-2? I feel like that's the ultimate answer when you talk about best athletes ever. It's Bo Jackson. I mean, if, if we talk about strength and speed combined, who's better than Bo? I don't know, man. LeBron. As far as when you talk height, weight, speed, index, man, it's hard to find him. I mean, LeBron can fly. He can jump out the gym, 6'8", 260. His athletic index is absurd. I would say I'd still go with just, I, I think Bo Jackson is the one just because of everything he was able to accomplish in multiple sports, especially with hand-eye coordination. Now, yeah, if you, if, you, if you add that into it, the tangibles mm-hmm. of, of statistics that he put up, just pure athletic index. It's hard for me to find a better athlete than LeBron. And so, because we can talk about some of these athletic feats, right? Like a Chris Johnson, who was good coming out of college. I'm definitely not going to get it too twisted Yeah, we played against him. How was that? Did he run all over you? He hit us with a 60-something yarder, yeah. (laughs) We didn't know who he was then, no. I was just like, man, I just remember being on the sidelines, seeing him fly down the sidelines. And I was like, who is that guy? Yeah. Um, I mean, Chris Johnson, I would imagine in college was crazy. Yes. And then the 2000 yard season that he had in 2009, he did have multiple 1000 yard years there as well. Um, but when you're discussing some of the better athletic feats, I mean, I know we've talked about it a little bit before, but just how much are you going to be paying attention to the combine this week? And how much is that going to impact your decision to draft whatever player first round, <laughs> second round and beyond? I love the combine. I like to watch the events, especially the forties uh, today. I believe it's the lineman that will be getting after it. Um, yeah. And I, and I think it does play a bearing because for one, when you come in and show out, it shows me that you're serious about your craft, that you're, especially when the tape matches up to what you do, Nothing says that I'm ready for this next step more than a guy who comes in with the clout and comes into the combine and puts it down. That lets me know that you are serious, you're locked in, and you're ready to play some ball. Yeah. And I, get the bag. Yeah, I, I do take <laughs> I take stock into the NFL combine. I do allow it to impact to a certain degree where I'm going to draft some players. Now, there can be production that is overwhelming where the athleticism just might not be there as much. One guy I always go back to is Derek Barnett at Tennessee where his where his skill set was so amazing rushing the passer where he had all the moves. Talk about a bag. He had all the moves in yeah. his bag. But his athletic testing wasn't great and yet still became a pretty productive pass rusher. Now, not top 10 in the league ever, but still pretty productive. And so that's just always the interesting example when you discuss production with low athleticism, but do you still warrant that guy being drafted in the first round? And that's what we're going to have to take into effect. And what's going to be interesting too is how much this clouds the judgment of Anthony Richardson. Is he going to be shooting up draft boards because he's just going to be a workout warrior? Same thing with Will Levis, who has the athleticism, who has the rocket arm. But if you go back and watch his tape, a little too turnover prone. Mm -hmm. So what are you going to buy into more? And I think it's going to be pretty polarizing surrounding the NFL fan base and just decision makers within the National Football League, too. Yeah, I mean, people love it. People love to see amazing athletic feats. It's just something you don't see every day. And so, you know, the thing about it is coaches have egos and potential uh, strokes their ego more than anything else out there. So for these coaches, you know, there's going to be quarterback coaches and offensive coordinators for these teams And when you see a guy like Anthony Richardson come out and light it up, 
it just ignites something in these guys where they feel like, man, if I, I could take that and I could just. Right. I, with my coaching, I could do X, Y, Z. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and a lot of times the players are what they are and they just tested great. And the timing was great, and then it doesn't work out. Um, Jackson wrote in, Chris Johnson is a top 10 running back of all time. Most unstoppable. Seriously? But he said most unstoppable in Madden ever. So, fair. Madden, he was very good. When he was on the cover that following year, Chris Johnson was absolutely amazing. Bagel guy wrote in, Walker, don't be scared of Wes. CJ2K was not great. All exclamation points. Say it with your chest. Now, I legitimately forgot that he had six 1,000-yard all season. pro, three pro bowls, six 1,000-yard Two-time all pro. 2000. Is that true? Looks yep. like three pro bowls and one all pro season. Uh, I see two-time all pro. Was on he, his pro football reference phrase. He's not a top 10 running back all time, though. No, he's right. not. No, okay. no, 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 no. He's he, not. No, he's not even close. But he had six. I give him top 20. Of all time? Top 20, 25. Man, for, for that four or five year stretch, he was the biggest weapon in the league. Like, he was a guy that if, if he got to your secondary, you were crapping bricks because it was over with. All right, so let's go. <laughs> it was like, over with. You are right. not catching Chris Johnson once he got to your secondary. We have a Josh Marlowe write-up from Stanford P. <laughs> Stanford P being the Todd McShay slash Mel Kuyper evaluating Josh Marlowe's talent. And then after that, we will also break down the top 20 running backs you in right, NFL sorry, history one time off, bro. next segment. So that is still to come. And I guess while we have some time, we'll break down the comments of one Scott Fitterer and Frank Reich, who did speak to media yesterday at the Combine in Indianapolis. It's all still to come on Wesson Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Wesson Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ, broadcasting live from the Planet Kia Studios, the best place on the planet to buy a car. Visit them on East Independence or online at planetkianc.com, planetkianc.com. Let's also go to the Garage Door Guru text line. Oh. You can text us at 704-570-9610. I don't know why I'm doing this but I am helping somebody insult me over the air by reading this text. 919 number said, Kyle Singler eats fruit by the foot like Terry. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I actually like that your mic wasn't on. It sounded funnier with that laugh in the background. Um, God, I that that's the one, too. Somehow, I have let it be known that not only calling me a Duke player is offensive, but calling me Kyle Singler is the one that hurts the, mo- the most. I, I'd rather be Filipowski. I'd, I'd rather be John Shire. I'd rather be <laughs> Christian Leitner's tough. But I couldn't stand Kyle Singler, man. 
I couldn't stand it. The hoop, though. I mean, yeah, but especially the way, just just the look of Kyle Singler too. Haircut. Yeah, it was an awful haircut. It's 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 almost like he wanted it to be a buzz cut, but then he would just let it grow out too long, and then he wouldn't let it do anything with it. So you mentioned that your your folks are big IU Purdue Butler people. No, well, I mean, my grandpa played at Indiana and Butler. Mm -hmm. My sister went to Purdue, Mm -hmm. and that's really the. And my stepsisters went to IU, but that's the extent of it. Do they hate Duke or Carolina the most? My brother grew up a Duke fan. He did. He went to Duke basketball camp. You know, my dad would send him all across the country to a whole bunch of different team camps. And so he grew up. Oh, and I did not. We had, I mean. Did he end up going somewhere? He played at Denison. And my other brother played so small, D3 schools. My dad played at Wabash when, yes. I heard of them before. Oh, yeah. Well, And they were they were a Division One program at, at the time, but not anymore because it was a long time ago. I told your dad. He's the tallest in the family. He's 6'7". Okay. My oldest brother is 6'6". Six, six. I'm like 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. Mm-hmm. Chris is 6'4 and a half. That's, that's my family. Lots of t- that, And that's my family history. I appreciate everybody being interested in that. Jamie wrote in, the best athletic showing at the Combine. Without a doubt, Tom Brady's 40-yard dash. <laughs> no doubt about it. Uh, Panther Bo said, just change Stan P's name to Lil Country Stan. That's 100%. And he also had a great write-up about Josh Marlowe. During the combine, he said, Josh Marlowe, local kid, bench pressed a Volkswagen, jetted twice at the Lancaster County Combine. He then proceeded to run the 40 in 3.8 seconds, wearing cowboy boots and blankless chaps. <laughs> That's the Todd McShay, or that is the Mel Kuyper rundown of Stanford P's evaluation of Josh Marlowe. Feel free to text in 704-570-9610. Let's get to some of the comments from Frank Reich and Scott Fitterer. Because Frank Reich, he talked about Derek Carr, and so did Scott Fitterer. Now, let's go to a Dan Graziano soundbite just real quickly. And here's ESPN NFL insider Graziano discussing the timeline of one Derek Carr. I don't know why he'd be in a hurry. I think he would probably want to see how the Aaron Rodgers situation shakes out before committing somewhere. Um, But I would think, you know, you're two weeks away from other people becoming free agents, like your Jimmy Garoppolo's and... Geno Smith's and, you know, quarterback is that ilk. So I think he probably wants to get somewhere before he has a lot of competition for his services. Seems like it's starting to crystallize, right? He's talking to the Jets and the Panthers and the Saints, and those feel like the most likely teams. You never know if somebody else jumps in on it. But I would think he would hope within the next week or two to have something settled before the market begins in earnest and he runs the risk of sort of being just another name out there. So this timeline is going to take a while. The Jets, the, the, <laughs> the Jets want it to take a while because they want to decide whether Ann Rodgers is going to leave Green Bay or not. And then if he doesn't, then they'll probably settle on Derek Carr. I was watching Get Up this morning. Dan Graziano predicted that Carr would end up with the New Orleans Saints, but he changed his answer from Carolina. So at first it was Carolina. Then he changed it to the New Orleans Saints. Mm. Last soundbite real quickly. Here's Frank Reich talking about the vet QB from Las Vegas. Good meeting with Derek. Um, Really have a lot of respect for him as what he's accomplished in his career. The the kind of player he is, the kind of person he is, you know, just see what is this the right fit? Is this an answer? And I think, you know, part of that is, yeah, this is a good option. You know, every option is on the table at this point. Every option, you know, moving up, moving back, signing a free agent. Every option is on the table. I mean, it has to be. You have to, you know, this is a huge decision. Wes, what's the feel on Derek Carr possibly going to Carolina right now as you see it? I think probably the basis of their meeting from Carr's standpoint was probably what is you guys' plan? Like, do you plan to bring me in and I be your long-term solution? 
at the position because I don't think that he necessarily wanted to come in and then have a rookie, a first-rounder sitting there that pretty much marks your time. Um, and I think probably with the Panthers, if I were him, that's the questions I would be asking. It's like, hey, you know, you want to bring me in and I'm your guy or are you going to draft somebody still? As far as from the Panthers standpoint, I think it was probably the reverse of that. I think it was probably like, hey, you know, this is a guy that we could look at to get us on track as far as winning and being uh, the team as of right now in the NFC South. And then we still have a guy behind you that's waiting to take us into the future. So uh, I don't glean much from what Frank Reich said right there uh, other than basically what he said. They had a good meeting and he didn't give us much more than that. So Scott Fitter also talked about Derek Carr. And when asked about him, he said, obviously, it would it would allow them to explore all the options, but you would have your draft picks in that case. As far as paying Derek Carr, right? Sorry. As far as paying Derek Carr, Scott Fitter was asked about the financial implications that would come with bringing him aboard. Yeah. And he said it would be a big hit, but you would have your draft picks in that case to compensate. Anytime you spend that kind of money, that percentage of your cap, that's a lot, and it's a big hit, and you're making a commitment at that point. He also talked about drafting a QB and the contrast that brings. He said, we're going to exhaust every option, looking at the draft and different situations to figure out how to best fix the QB position moving forward instead of just putting a patch on it. And I think that last part of the quote is something interesting. Joe Person wrote about it of The Athletic. Anytime you talk about Band-Aid or Patch or anything other than long-term solution, that lends itself to you thinking it's going to happen via the Vet QB, whether it be a Carson Wentz, even though he hasn't been linked to Carolina. We're just making that connection because Frank Reich is here. Or Derek Carr, in this case, who has been linked to Carolina. And they're meeting again on Monday via phone, by the way, and we talked about that yesterday. Do you kind of view it the same way I do? Patch, meaning Derek Carr, especially as it pertains to Scott Fitterer's comment? I think patch means veteran quarterback, period, right. not named Lamar Jackson. Uh, right. I think that, you know, they want to get a fresh face in here that's going to provide hope. Because I think even if you bring in Derek Carr, there will be excitement as far as, like I said, he's the new guy, the new quarterback, and they know that he can put up numbers, and so I think they'll feel confident about that based off how inept the passing game was at times last year. So I think that's what Carr would provide. But when you have that rookie, that fresh face, you just think that the opportunities are endless, especially if you hit on said pick and you get the next Burrow or Allen or Justin Herbert or Mahomes or whatever the case may be. So I think that's basically what he was saying was just that, you know, we, we want the new fresh face for the future and beyond. So I think it's all speculation on my part. So let's just go ahead and lay that caveat out there. Mm -hmm. But for me, the mood I got from both Scott Fitterer and Frank Reich, a little bit different on the Derek Carr front, and it makes sense to me. I think Scott Fitterer would much rather draft a QB because he sees the logical approach to that sense. He has to care about everybody's financial implication to the salary cap. And it felt like Frank Reich, when talking about Derek Carr, was a little bit more open to it. And if you think about it, Frank Reich has to do all of the work with the young QB, right? Mm -hmm. Like Scott Fitterer is not in the building or I, he's not in the room with these young QBs trying to coach them up every single Sunday installing the game plan. That's why you hire Frank Reich. Yeah. And so if Frank Reich has the option of established QB, who is certainly capable of good performances, or young QB, where it doesn't matter how talented he is, you got to work with him and get him up to speed 
in this first, maybe second year, who knows, right? You have some uncertainty with that. So if you are the head coach, it would make sense that you might want Derek Carr instead of the young QB. And I'm not saying that's what Frank Reich wants. I just know it would be a lot harder for the head coach to deal with that. With the GM, you draft your young QB, you trust your coaching staff that is in place right now, a very good one. We've been singing their praises all offseason long. And so it makes sense to me that the mood, the vibe I got from Fitterer was leaning more into drafting one. Mm -hmm. And the mood I got from Frank Reich was that he likes Derek Carr. I don't know if I got, oh, he wants to go hell or high water all in on Derek Carr, but he certainly seemed to be more open to it than the vibe I got from Fitterer. Well, both their jobs depend on this next quarterback, plain and simple. I mean, whether you get Carr, whether you get a rookie, whether you get a combination of both, if that position doesn't work out, more than likely the team's not working out, and one or both of you will be fired uh, because Fitterer's been here for a while. And so, you know, I agree with Fitty to an extent saying that, you know, drafting for your job, so to speak, like Fitterer's job might not be on the line now, but this is a defining moment for him and his tenure. And I think Frank Reich feels the same way. And I think that is why he's open to a car because he's looking at like, okay, this gets me wins immediately. This could get me an NFC title immediately, buy me more job security. Then if car doesn't work out, I may be able to get a little bit of time to get a young guy in here. Or if we draft the young guy as well, that gives me, you know, more leases on life here. So I think, uh, you know, from both perspectives, this is going to be a defining moment in both of their tenure. Now, Fitterer did say they met with all of the top four QBs and Max Duggan included from TCU. So five QBs they spoke with yesterday. Interesting, no Hendon Hooker here, but also, you know, you do have Max Duggan. Go ahead, Fitty. No, I was just going to tell you, they, they, they did meet with Hendon Hooker as okay. well. They met with six quarterbacks. Okay, perfect. So they did have another name added to that list. And so that changes the topic completely. It would be weird if they didn't speak to Hendon Hooker, but there's other five. So they did take care of a lot of um, really all of those QBs and hooker is an interesting name to watch if they don't draft one in the first round and maybe that would be an option for them in the second. So who knows there? Here's more from Scott Fitterer. He actually joined Kyle Bailey yesterday. Fitty, I want to play the Bryce Young soundbite from Scott Fitterer. Here he is talking about the size concerns from the Alabama QB. So I will say he was a little bit bigger in person than I thought he would be. Um, but I tell you what, sitting down with him, he was so poised and just so in control. And the way he talked football, it, just, it was so fluid coming out of his mouth. He didn't, you know, coaches couldn't even get the, the question out, and he's already answering. Or he went on and answered before, you know, they even asked the question because he understood, he understands the game so much. So, yeah, he's not a big man, but he does so many things well. He sees the field, he processes quickly. And makes the right decisions. Uh, and he's just a really good person on top of it. Really smart, really good person. Wes, you said what I was feeling, though. I mm -hmm. mean, I felt it, too. He's a baller, man. Yeah. It, it, don't you feel like anytime you hear those comments, it's usually not said about a guy that's also pretty damn athletic. Right. Usually those comments are coming towards a quarterback that has to sit in the pocket, that mm -hmm. can't really rely on his legs, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. But you're saying all of that, the mm -hmm. processing side of things, where people are singing all of the praises for Bryce Young yes. and his ability to process. Yes. And the dude is athletic. Yeah. The dude's just short, man. That's what it is. Listen, if the man was 6'2", even 6'1", even 6 feet, but especially... If he was 6'2 or 6'3, they would be hailing him as one of the greatest quarterback prospects of the last 20-plus years. I mean, when you look at the pedigree, I told people 
This man has been a prodigious prospect since he was a child, and he has faced the same question since he was a child. If you ever go look up his story, his background from the time he was eight, nine years old, they were questioning the size. But then when he got out there and bought out, there were no more questions to be answered. And again, because he played so well in the SEC against the best defenses and dominated these teams cerebral. How many times, like they said, how many times did you watch an Alabama game and say, if they lost, which was very rare, and you said Bryce Young was the reason they lost the game. Well, even in LSU, the dude made awesome plays to That's keep what I'm them saying. down the stretch. That's what right. I'm saying. Like they, they, You never watch a game. How many times did you watch Bryce Young and be like, what was he thinking on that throw? Rarely were you sitting there like, God, what, what was that? Look, I, I get it's a legitimate concern. Dude's really small. When you don't see a lot of that, I get it. I'm just telling you that is not deterring me from drafting no. him. It's just not no. happening. And that's the thing. We wouldn't even be discussing this if he was just a couple of inches taller. This wouldn't even be a discussion. He would being he would be being hailed as one of the great prospects, and the Bears would probably trade Justin Fields with no problem and draft him. Well, and it goes back to what I was saying yesterday and something I'll probably say leading up to the draft. The guy you draft and miss out on is just as important as the guy you don't draft and miss out on. If you draft Bryce Young and he turns out to be awful, I get it. It's a missed draft pick. If you don't draft Bryce Young when there was a chance to take him and he turns out to be awesome for the other team, isn't that just as bad? Yeah. Uh, But people don't really view it that way. Look, I am taking the risk. I am drafting Bryce Young. I don't care that he's under six foot. I don't care that he's going to weigh in close to 200 pounds and really not even reach that mark. I get it. But I am much more. I'm going to be able to sleep much more at night and live with myself drafting Bryce, taking that risk Mm -hmm. and having him possibly get hurt. And you know what? I'll take the L. Fire me. Okay. I believed in the guy's skill set. Fire me. I, I would much rather do that than miss out because he was shorter than everybody, mm-hmm. even though all of the talent was there in the first. I mean, how many players do we see in NFL history to have these types of stories? Look at John Randall, Hall of Fame defensive tackle. He was told he was too short. Wow. He was told that he wasn't big enough. Tom Brady, we already know this man still cried about the draft. <laughs> The players that have the biggest chips on their shoulders a lot of times end up being the best players. I want a player like Bryce Young. I want a guy that's hurt his whole life. You're too small. You can't do this. You can't do that. Because you know what? When it comes down to it, when the chips are down, this is a guy that's going to channel all of that through him and come through in the biggest and greatest of moments for your franchise. So, like I said, give me a give me the guy that's got the chip on his shoulder at quarterback that can also play better, has a better brain, and better intangibles than any other quarterback in the draft now not to throw cold water on this entire conversation Mm -hmm. but you're gonna have to trade up a lot to go get him and at that point i might feel a little uncomfortable (laughs) but Mm -hmm. uh, but i'm with you and if they did it i'd still be happy with the player they got it would just be a lot of assets to move up if he was 6-3 210 would you feel uneasy about it if they traded up for him i mean same stats same career same everything but he's 6-3 220 to your point less so yes but you're still giving up a lot. It, it just here. If you're moving up to go get any of the prospects like Trevor Lawrence, Andrew Luck, whoever was tabbed as generational talents, you give up a ton to move up to get number one. I'm always going to feel uneasy, right? Like that's it, it, it doesn't have anything to do with Bryce Young. It has to do with the principle of giving up a ton of draft picks. I mean, you're talking about what, like two, three first rounders on top of more assets. Mm-hmm. So 
yes, but not because of the disbelief I have in Bryce, just because fundamentally giving up that many assets, it's going to make you feel a little queasy when you pull the trigger on that trade. Let's pull the trigger now on the first Fitty Flash of the day. What you got for us, Fitty? Well, guys, we've been advertising that we're going to be out at the Big South Tournament, the Hercules Big South Tournament tomorrow. I'm kind of geeked about that because it'll be my first ever conference tournament I've ever attended as a member of the media fan whatsoever. And it got underway yesterday with two really exciting games. The eight-seed high point took down the nine-seed Charleston Southern, 72-70 to in a game that Steve Smith my former adversary was rumored to be at. <laughs> and then in the 7-10 game, Campbell took down Presbyterian 68-63. We'll be on hand during the UNC Asheville-Charleston game tomorrow at noon. What are you guys excited to see about tomorrow while we're on site for the Big South Tournament? That dude, Drew Pember, who mm. won all of the awards in the conference, that dude is absolutely bonkers. We just talked with UNC Asheville's coach last week, and he discussed, yeah, it helps having one of the best offensive players in the entire sport. But this guy also won Defensive Player of the Year. Mm. It's abs I I'm excited to watch that guy out of anything else in this tournament. Well, the resident college sports elite is here. I just want to see good basketball. I mean, I'm not going to pretend like I know all these players and all this type of stuff. I just want to see good games. I know that guy, and that's who I'm excited to watch. It's Wes <laughs> Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. Campus Corner coming up next. The ACC alternate universe continues. Has this been the most unpredictable ACC season in quite some time? We'll talk about it. Weston Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Weston Walker Show Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Hit us up, Garage Door Guru text line 704-570-9610. Hit us up, Weston Walker on Twitter, WFNZ on Twitter, and WFNZ on Instagram. Hit the follow button. It only takes a couple seconds. Seriously, it's not that hard. All right, let's get into it. It's time to go to the campus. Kona! All right, this week... This past weekend, all of the games in the ACC, it seems like that we are just in an alternate universe. And just when you thought that things were getting back to normal as we marched towards the NC or the ACC tournament, Pitt goes and loses to Notre Dame. This is a team in Notre Dame that's been feisty all year. We know they can shoot the basketball, and they did so last night. They hit 10 threes, 37% from the field. Pitt did not shoot the basketball well. 44% from the field, 31% from three. Cormac Ryan, Hammond, 20 apiece. And Pitt goes down. 
So, I mean, what do we think about this? Everything that happened this past weekend, is this the most unpredictable ACC season? Of all time. Yeah, I mean, I think North Carolina alone would help with that because they yes. were the preseason number one and the fact that they're playing for the NCAA tournament lives. That alone is a good example of how unpredictable this year has been. The other thing, too, is just when we start to defend some of these programs or get excited about them, like NC State, like Clemson, like Pittsburgh, which some pundits out there were saying that they were kind of playing for their tournament lives, or at least they were closer to the bubble than most would expect, given where they are in the ACC conference standings. And then as soon as a couple of doubters are out there and then the ACC comes out, no, we're actually really good, they drop the ball. Pittsburgh ranked, finally, sneaking in, top 25. They drop the ball, they lose to Notre Dame. NC State, right, as soon as we were getting on them, they lose, and they lose a couple in a row, and they get spanked by the Clemson Tigers, who also went through something like this when they lost to the Louisville Cardinals, who have not even a handful of wins on the season. It just feels like any time we're about to gas one of these programs up or feel very good about them heading into postseason play, they drop the ball. Pittsburgh, just the latest example. Yeah, and I mean, it was very surprising. Yes, it was a road loss, and we know that's been the thing with ACC teams this season. A lot of teams that have been great at home, Pitt, one of them, Duke, Miami, you name it. But Florida State came in and ruined Miami's home record uh, with, with what I believe is their first loss of the season at home, if I'm not mistaken. And then, like I said, so Pitt goes on the road and loses – it's just been you you cannot put your finger on a favorite for the ACC tournament. You just can't at this point because just when you fully trust the team, you have NC State getting blown out by Clemson. You have Miami losing at Florida, I mean losing to Florida State after having a 25-point lead. Now Pittsburgh uh, takes a loss right now. So there's no trusted brand right now this season that you go into the ACC tournament like that's the team to beat. Fiddy, what did you think? I know, did you get mad at me for my ACC take? I, I think maybe can we just start to admit that even though Duke and Carolina aren't one and two, this league isn't as bad as Joe Lenardi, Jerry Palm, Mike DeCorsi want to tell oh, us? I agree with that. I agree with that. Like, like and, and I get it that maybe I come across as an ACC homer and because I love my conference, but do I think the conference is the best conference in the country? No. I still think that's the Big 12. Do I think it's a worse conference than the Mountain West, than the West Coast Conference, where in some metrics they, they are somehow behind them? Absolutely not. So I, do I think the league is as great as it should be? No. Is it as bad as everyone wants to make it out to be? That answer is also no. I don't know if anybody said it was bad, though. The question here is it's unpredictability, which seems to be true. And even with me bringing in Notre Dame, I mean, Notre Dame, they have just a few wins in conference play. I mean, they're three and what? Six and, and, and uh, excuse me, they only have three wins of what are they? Three and 16. So if you're Pittsburgh and you lose that to a team that has lost already that many conference games, that's a big upset. I mean, I don't care if it is on the road. Like, that's an upset, especially for a ranked team within conference play, losing to a squad that doesn't even have four conference wins. Like, that's an upset. In Mike Bray's potential final home game at Notre Dame on senior night, don't we believe that it's the the hardest game to win on your schedule is when you play at a team on their senior yeah, night? And yeah, that, and that's a great intangible that you bring up as well, and especially with it being Mike Bray's last game at Notre Dame. It was going to be hard for a lot of teams to come in there and get that win. So I think Pitt kind of – came in on some bad timing. And so another team that we go into that we wonder about after what they've done lately is NC State. Matt Doherty was on the Kyle Bailey show. He talked about 
NC State and their struggles. Let's hear what he had to say. But they really haven't been under this type of pressure. It's a different type of game pressure. And I think uh, Smith, Tocavian Smith, showed showed succumbing to that pressure last night as, as you and Smoke discussed and showed me the video of the offensive foul that he had in the push. Yeah, you missed that. You know, which, <laughs> like, that's that's not smart. That's not mature basketball. That's not winning basketball. And so they really haven't, and, and from Kevin Keats on down to the last guy in the roster, been under this type of game pressure um, since Kevin Keats has been there. Yeah, so that's an interesting factor to think about. And the pressure is only going to ratchet up because fans are going to kind of maybe not dismiss some of the recent losses that they've had. But now it's a clean slate ACC tournament. Then it'll be a clean slate NCAA tournament. But the pressure is going to continue on them to make a run, to be able to make some noise, especially in the ACC tournament. I think... State fans are expecting big things. What say you, Walker? Well, it's funny because, again, it goes back to my point about we were saying NC State was handling prosperity well. That was a question. That was a comment that we had about the Wolfpack. And I guess at some point, do you just keep saying that until it's true? Right? Like, I really am trying to figure it out. That's not necessarily a rhetorical question. I really don't know. Do we just keep saying, well, NC State is handling prosperity pretty well, and they, uh, they, and now at the end, after they lose a couple of games, or say, all right, well, now they're succumbing to pressure. So they can't lose, right? Like, they have to win out in order for them to continue on this trajectory in a positive way. Do we just keep saying that until they lose, and then now we're vindicated in our opinions about them? Yeah. Or is this just the group? ruling schedule in an ACC that is underrated, to Fiddy's point. Because I don't know how true you can make both statements. The ACC is underrated, and also NC State dropped the ball by losing a couple of games in a row. Are we going to be surprised if we get to the NCAA tournament and there are three teams in the Sweet 16, two teams in the Elite Eight? No, not at all. That's what the ACC does. It happens all the time. And so that's where I think I get annoyed, is that it's all they underperform, they underperform, they underperform. Then we get to what really matters... And they have three teams in the late, two teams in the Final Four, team in the national title game. Oh, then, we, then we want to give them credit. Oh, because yeah. the conference ain't as bad. Everyone wants the ACC to be bad. Doesn't it happen reverse, though, sometimes? Where I feel like in the ACC in the past, when they don't perform that well in the NCAA tournament, but they had an awesome regular season, and then we're saying, well, look, you can't hold that against them. And I agree. I feel like it, I feel like it does get reciprocated a couple of times, though. It depends on the year. Well, I've said I think that the ACC deserves the same respect in basketball that the SEC gets in football. And I don't want to hear from a lot of these pundits. Beheim did say it. one of the few things that we do like that he said that, well, ACC wins in the tournament when it matters the most, and I believe he said the Big Ten sucks, if, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, the ACC, in my opinion, is the premier college basketball conference, and they deserve to be treated as such when it comes to respect. But when we come back on the Wes and Walker show, were you jealous watching Phoenix last night? We're going to tell you why you should. This is the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.